All right, how's everybody doing today? Doing good, nice, uh, warm uh, summer day, you know? Hey, it's August, it's supposed to be warm, okay? Okay, today, man, we're, we're, we're in an echo chamber. <laughs> the voice of the Lord. We are going to talk about money. Money in the book of Proverbs. But um, I think there's a reoccurring... Be, be turning to Bible Proverbs chapter 13. We'll start there. But um, there's a, a reoccurring theme, I think, with most people. And, and check me out if, if this isn't uh, descriptive of you as well. Is that you have had a prayer or a thought to God at least one time in your life. Uh, you know, God, it'd be nice to have a little bit more money. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands uh, on that, but I'll bet you that uh, it would be a pretty conclusive uh, group. That most of us, at least one time or another, have thought, boy, it would be nice to have money or to be rich. This is not a new thought. I'm going to show you a clip from an old-time movie. Now, my teenagers down here, you may not have seen this movie. The old-timers back in the back, you've definitely seen it. And so uh, it'll it'll, uh, be familiar to you. But uh, it's entitled, If I Were a Rich Man. You made many, many poor people. I realize no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So uh, what would have been so terrible if I had the small force? <laughs> if I were a rich man. <laughs> If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work out. If I were a bit of rich, I would build, I would build, man. I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up, and one even longer coming down, and one more leading nowhere just for show. Chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear. Squawking just as noisily as they can. And each love the air. like a trumpet on the ear. As if to say, here lives a wealthy man.
Enjoy that more than me singing it. <laughs> oh no, 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 <laughs> no! You do not, you do not want that. But uh, you know, it's it's a fascinating uh, idea, right? All of us have thought it at one time or another. Wouldn't it be interesting to be wealthy? And uh, you know, of course, this is uh, years ago the the setting of this song. And uh, in his mind, being wealthy is having a house with a wooden floor below him and a staircase and uh, ducks and geese and chicken uh, in the front yard. And, you know, you think of our lives today, most of us live in a house that has a floor and a roof, and we have a refrigerator that's full of food. In his mind, at least at that time, in the context of that time, that's what it meant to be rich. And that description 
uh, we're all rich. Yeah. yeah if if, uh, if you want to make the comparison of time and all that. But uh, that's a, a great uh, play or a great film. If you've never seen it, uh, you, should, uh, you should see it. But I want, us to, uh, I want us to sink our head into this idea a little bit today of if I were a rich person, if I were a rich woman, if I were a rich man, and see what the Scriptures say to us. And just imagine for the moment here that you're rich. Okay? You've got a lot of money. Money's not a problem in your life. You've got a lot of money. Well, the Scriptures, the Proverbs say a lot about money. Let's look at a couple of them. Chapter 13, verse 11. You there? This is a passage about savings. It says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. That was good advice then. Good advice now. You know, you don't have to save a lot of money, but save some money. And if you save a little and a little and a little and a little, sooner or later you're going to look around and you're going to have more than you thought. Look over to chapter 23, verse 4. Chapter 23, verse 4. It says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. And they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You know, most of us have figured that out at one time or another. Yep. You know, you think you have a lot of money and then bang! All of a sudden you're like, wow, where'd all my money go? And, and then you don't have any. That can happen if you have a little money. It can happen if you have a lot of money. That if you think you just because you have money that you're always going to have money, you're probably very sorely mistaken. Uh, look over to chapter 27, verse 23. A similar passage. It says, Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Now, most of us don't have flocks, but the condition of your things, if you want to put, that, put it that way. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Another passage that says essentially the same thing, right? That just because you have it doesn't mean you're going to have it forever. And you have to take good condition of it. You have to take, take, take good care of it. Or it will be gone quicker than you possibly could ever know. Now let's, let's uh, borrow from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just next door there. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. Another passage, not in Proverbs, but Ecclesiastes in the wisdom literature about money. And this idea... Uh, uh, about how we look at money and how we value it. It says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And whatever benefit they are to the owner, except to feast his eyes on them. You know, isn't it interesting that when you were at a certain stage in life and you didn't have a lot of money, you thought, well, if I only had this much money, I would be happy. Yeah. And then a little later on in life, you have more money and you realize, I've got more money, but I don't seem to have any more freedom. You know, because as you have more money, then the things that uh, are involved with having more money come into play and all of a sudden you realize, I, I don't have much. Uh, there was a famous quote uh, a few years ago from a, a professional athlete that was making millions and millions of dollars and, and this particular athlete was almost broke. 
And, and uh, the, the, the person asked him the question, how could you be broke when you make millions and millions of dollars? He says, but you don't understand. We make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. That's the way it goes, isn't it? You know, if you don't have money to buy things, you don't think about it. There's some things that a lot of us in this room, we don't even think about because it's not even in the question, right? And so why think about it? It just drives you nuts. You know what I'm saying? But if you have that money, then all of a sudden, oh my, maybe I should have that. Maybe I could have that. Wouldn't that be interesting? You know, greed is uh, an interesting thing that comes into play with money. Famous person in the Bible that let greed get a part of his life and uh, that made him make some really bad choices was Judas. He says Judas was in charge of the money, that from time to time he helped himself to it. And then when he got apparently perturbed at Jesus, he betrayed him for money. What can you give me was the question he asked the Jewish leaders. And they said, we'll give you money. And so greed is something in a person's life they've got to be very careful about. Famous quote from John D. Rockefeller uh, several years ago, the richest man in the world. Someone asked him, how much more money do you need? The richest man in the world said, just a little bit more. Isn't that the perception that you can get into? You can be the richest man in the world. How much more do you need? And of course, the obvious answer is none. He didn't even eat all he had. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And just a little bit more. And that's what money can sort of do for you. I want to spend the rest of our time here today actually outside of the book of Proverbs. But I want us to look at at three people that were wealthy people in the Bible and what they said about money. The three people are Moses, David, and Paul. Now you say, well, Paul, was Paul wealthy? I think if you study Paul's life, there was a time in his life before he became a Christian, and more than likely, he was a wealthy man. Of course, he became a Christian and his life went a very different uh, way, but he has some things to say about money. So these three uh, uh, people had money and they make different observations about it. Maybe scriptures for the rich man, if, if you want to put it that way. So, you know, you're, uh, you're dreaming about being rich, so you can uh, think about these passages in that context. Look over the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. Now, Deuteronomy 8 is going to be picking up with the, the, the man Moses, right? You guys with me? Yeah. You guys where Deuteronomy is? We got Deuteronomy? Some of you are trying to figure it out yet? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 2. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. So this is an interesting thing just to note right here. He's referring back to the Exodus. He says, you came out of a a slavery situation, right? And you came into the desert. How was life in the desert? Was it easy or hard? hard? It was hard. And he said, okay... You went through a hard time in your life, and what was that for? To humble you 
and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. So it's interesting to note that at times in our life when we go through hard times, it is a time of testing to humble us and to show us What's what we're really made of? What's really in our heart? Okay, come a little further down, uh, and we'll pick it up in. Uh, let's pick it up in verse uh, six. He's going to talk now about what they're going to get when they come into the promised land. He says, "Observe the observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water." With, uh, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranate, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, and a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. Now for all of us, we probably say, well, uh, you know, what? No, no big deal. <laughs> These are people that are coming out of the desert. They didn't have water. They didn't have bread. They, they didn't have all these things. And he's saying, man, you're going to go into a place where you're going to have everything you always wanted and more. You can dig copper out of those hills. I mean, you know, for us, that sort of passes over our head. For these people, that's like, wow, that is a big, big deal. Okay, verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord or remember the Lord is what he said earlier. Remember the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and decrees that I'm giving you today. I submit to you that God tests us when we go through hard times to see what's in our heart. He also tests us when we go through great times. When things are good in our life. Because that also reveals what is in your heart. Because when you go through hard times, what can come out is that you're angry with God. God, why didn't you take care of me? How could you let me get into this? When you go through good times, you forget God altogether. And you begin to think, and he's going to cover this in just a minute, that I did this. I'm going through a good time because I have done good things. And I have brought this good upon me. So he says, uh, uh, you know, when when you're there, uh, do not forget the Lord. Now come on over and let's pick it up. Uh, Well, it's a continuation. Let's just go in verse 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, you will build and build fine houses and settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and and it will have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert and the thirsty and water land with his venomous snakes and his scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, so he says, you may think this in your mind. You ever have a conversation in your mind? You may say this to yourself, my power and strength 
And my hands have produced this wealth for me. Produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Moses says, hey, you rich people out there. Be sure that you don't forget God. Don't get faked out and think that you are so awesome that you did all this. God gave you the ability to do those things. You know, if I look, as I look over the crowd today, there's some really talented people here today. Really gifted in all kinds of different ways from mental academic abilities to athletic abilities to social abilities. You know, some of you guys, you've never met someone you didn't like. You know, you're just, you're just got a great way about you and a great personality and all those kinds of things. Where did you get all these abilities? Where did you get all that athletic ability? Where did you get all that academic ability? Where did you get these things? You say, well, hey, I I worked hard. Well, yeah, you worked hard with something you had to work with. You know, for some people, they can work really hard to be a basketball player. (laughs) And they're still (laughs) 5'6". And they work really hard. But they don't have the natural ability. You understand what I'm saying? Some people can work really hard at their academic life and they're still not going to be able to be a great scholar because they just don't have the gray matter. If you know what I'm saying. Some of you are naturally pretty. You're attractive. Some of us work really hard <laughs> Should I share that? Should I share it? Can I share it? Sure. <laughs> One of Chris's co-workers this week saw a picture of our family and made a comment about me. She said, Chris, you must be a trophy wife looking at your husband. (laughs) Boom! (laughs) That'll take the wind out of you. (laughs) Whoa. Hey, we're all blessed in different ways, guys. And, and, but Moses says, hey, remember, God gave you the ability. To, don't, don't get faked out that you brought all this on just because you tried hard. God gave you the ability 
to try hard. He gave you the, the goods to work with. And yes, you worked hard. Yes, you took advantage of what God blessed you with. But let's not get faked out that you brought all this good on yourself. That's what Moses is trying to remind the people. Because he says, listen, I brought you out of the desert, man. It was tough in the desert. And God was testing you there. We're going to go into this land. And it's awesome, guys. You can dig copper out of those holes, out of those hills. I mean, he's telling them, this is going to be a great spot. But don't get faked out when you get there. And forget God. That's Moses' perspective about wealth. Don't lose perspective. God gave you the ability. God has taken care of you. God will test you as it comes to money in your life. Okay, let's look at David. Look over to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles 28. Now we're going to look at 28 and 29, so obviously we can't read all of it. The context of this is David later in his life This is toward the end of his life. He's getting ready to hand the baton off to Solomon, his son. And and the context of this is that, that, uh, that David has wanted to build the temple, but God has let him know, no, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. And we'll read that as we come on through here. Okay, chapter 28, uh, verse 1. It says, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers of the tribes. Now notice who these people are. These people are the accomplished leaders of the community. The the officers of the tribes. The commanders of the divisions and the service to the king. The commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds and the, and the, uh, uh, the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons. Together with... Uh, at, at the, uh, with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. So this is quite a gathering, right? you got all the leaders of the community that David has called them on big, and for this big meeting. Okay, uh, chapter 4. He says, uh, Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from, uh, from the house of Judah He chose my family. And from my father's sons, He was pleased to make me king over all Israel. One of my sons, and the Lord has given me many, He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord uh, for, uh, 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 over uh, of the Lord over Israel. So he's saying, "Hey, Solomon is going to be the the one that's going to be the king after me. I've got many sons, but Solomon is going to be the one that comes into play." Okay, coming down now to chapter twenty nine. We're we're skipping a lot there, uh, but uh, we don't we don't time to hit it all. In chapter twenty nine, verse one. Then King David said to the whole assembly, "So this people, those, all the people we've talked about." My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because uh, this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. So he's, he's saying that I have done this. This is what I, David, have given. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stones and marble. All these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver uh, for the temple of my God, overall, uh, over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold. And he goes on and, and, and says all this. So David says, hey, I have thrown my personal money into this. My things, big time, into this. Now he ends that paragraph, the last little sentence there. He says, now, 
Who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? So he calls them now. He says, hey, this is what I've given. Now, who of you is ready to give? Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of the God 5,000 talents uh, uh, and 10,000 uh, derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Uh, any uh, who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple uh, of the Lord uh, in the custody of Jehael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced at the willing response of the leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now they, they gave. Now I want to, I want you to hold your finger here and look back to Deuteronomy 16, 16. Back to Deuteronomy real quickly. These are Old Testament Jews. And so their concept of giving is what Moses earlier had taught to people and of course had been written down and they had read in the Old Testament law as they would have understood it. And, and, uh, and chapter, uh, just 16 of Deuteronomy, in verse 16, it says, Three times a year your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose. At the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Weeks, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So the Old Testament law of giving was this. There's going to be three major times where all the people gather together. In, in Jerusalem, eventually that's where it will be, at the temple. He said, all, all the men have to come. Everybody, every family has to be represented. Nobody is to show up empty-handed. Nobody. And he says, everybody should give as God blessed them. Okay, now, you go back to, to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David says, okay, here's what I gave. And then he says, who of you is willing to give? And they all pitched in. And how would they have pitched in? What would have been in their mind? It would have been Deuteronomy 16.16. I'm going to give. I can't give what David gave. David gave an enormous amount. But David was the king. They would have given what? As God had blessed them, they would have given, right? Every one of those people in all those positions didn't make the exact amount of money. Some made more, some made less. But everybody understood, hey, I don't come before the Lord empty-handed. Because to come before the Lord empty-handed is to say what to the Lord? You haven't haven't given me anything. And so they understand, hey, I may not be able to give what that guy gives, but that guy has more than me. That's his business. That's not my business. My business is to give according to what God has given us. You understand what I'm saying? Me and my family. That's what I am going to give. Okay, now, come on down, because David says some interesting things. 
in his prayer. In verse 10, man, I'm flying, guys, sorry. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. That's David's perspective of money and things. Everything belongs to God. He comes on down and look at verse 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Okay, Moses' perspective was God's going to test you with money and, and, and you better pass the test. When you have money, you better make sure that you understand that God gave you that money. David's perspective is, it all belongs to God anyway. This is an outstanding way to live your life as a child of God. It's not your house, it's God's house. It's not your car, it's God's car. It's not your clothes, it's God's clothes. It's not your savings account, it's God's savings account. Because it all belongs to Him anyway. And there's a lot of great scriptures that I could give you on that. Psalm 50. Uh, all, the, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. All the animals in the forest belong to God. The trees belong to God. If God blows down His tree, that's His business. It's His tree anyway. <laughs> it all belongs to God. God gives it to us and sees what we do with it. What do we do? How do we view it? Moses and David's perspective of God of money is very similar, isn't it? It all belongs to God. God is just seeing how we are going to respond to it. Okay, quickly, let's go over and look at Paul. Quickly, quickly. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. You guys with me? I know I'm flying here, but we had to have that video at the beginning. (laughs) I knew you'd enjoy that. I I enjoyed that. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it. I did anyway. Okay. Um, Paul here is talking about money. And uh, he says, uh, let's pick it up in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, it's important to understand, and I don't have time to go into this to, to, to prove it, but God doesn't really want us to be happy. God wants us to be content. There's a difference between contentment and happiness. Contentment comes and goes. Or, or happiness comes and goes. Contentment is deep. Okay? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You came in the world... Naked as a jaybird, as my parents would have said. I don't know what a jaybird is, but it always sounded good. You brought nothing with you, and you've got to take nothing when you leave. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich, uh uh-oh, fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root... Not the root. This is one of the most misquoted passages in the Bible. It is not the root. It's a root. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with grief, with many griefs. So he says, hey, you've got to be careful about money. If money begins to be too important for you, it can cost you even your faith or even your spiritual life. Verse 17, command those who are rich. Now, it's important to note right here, why would Paul tell Timothy, who's leading the church at Ephesus, to command those who are rich? What does that imply about some of the members in the church in Ephesus? They were rich! Is it wrong to be rich? No. Is it wicked to be rich? Are we to assume if someone is rich that they are wicked? No. No. There were rich people in the church then. There are rich people in the church now. There are poor people in the church then. There are poor people in the church now. There are middle people in the church then. There are middle people in the church now. Everybody doesn't have the same amount of money. But he gives specific direction here. He's not saying, okay, this is what you do with the poor people. This is what you do with the rich people. So our whole thing is, if I want to be a rich man. Hey, okay, you want to be a rich man? I love it when he's pouring the corn out and it falls down on the horse's head. I mean, there's so many subtle, funny things in that little clip. But anyway, and so he's saying this to the rich people. Those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant and to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Paul's perspective of, of, of money is, is that it isn't going to give you contentment. And his perspective of money is use the money you have to promote the things of God. Command them to be rich in good deeds and, and those things. And he says an interesting thing here. There's a concept of heaven. And by the way, I'm going to do that, pre- that thing uh, on heaven. I, I just Raphael wants to do Proverbs right now, so we're doing Proverbs. I, I'll get to heaven. Uh, but I hope I do. But uh, I hope we all get to heaven. Uh, but I'll get to the heaven sermon. But he's saying if you have money, use the money. Use the money and it's laid up ahead of you. Isn't that an interesting idea? You're, you're making a deposit into the eternal realm when you use your money on earth for godly things. Amen. Okay, now, what did Moses teach? What did David teach? What did Paul teach? They were all wealthy people. They taught that money will test you. Not having money tests you about bitterness. Having money tests you about arrogance. David says, hey, it's all from God anyway. God owns it all anyway. He's just going to see what you're going to do with it. Paul says, it's not going to really make you content. It may make you happy for the moment. But it's really not going to make you content. Use your money for godly things. Now, let's close up back in Proverbs. You guys are going to love this prayer. We're all going to say it together. Proverbs 30. This is a great prayer for every single one of us to pray and really mean it. I have to tell you, and I've told you many times, I've prayed that the Lord would bless me with money. 
The other day we bought a, uh, a lottery ticket and uh, we got the most numbers right we ever got. We got the mega number and one other. We won $4. $4. So, you know, I told Chris, I said, well, we can go to McDonald's and get two uh, uh, ice cream cones, you know, uh, for, uh, with all the money that we won. Uh, but, you know, so far, and my conclusion on that, my conclusion on that is so far God has said no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interpretive. That's a good interpretation. God has said no. And you know my answer to that, back to God is? I trust you. It must not be at the right time. <laughs> Later on, maybe. But, you know, we have to trust God on those kind of things. And some of you made prayer, a prayer like that. Trust God. If God doesn't give it to you, say, okay, amen. Hey, I don't know all that's going on. I understand there's all kinds of things going on that I don't get. If it's not good for me or my family or or the the church or whatever not to have that money right now, I trust your judgment over my judgment. I think that's a good way to look at it. But guys, look at this prayer. This is a great one. And we're all going to say it together. I hope you will with me anyway. Some of you may say, I don't know. I'm not not sure if I'm ready to pray that prayer. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse verse 7. This is such a great prayer. Two things I ask of you. O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Number two, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. Wow. And say... Who's the Lord? Or, I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What a prayer. What a prayer. God, I want to pray to you, God. God, keep falsehood and wickedness away from me. And give me only what I need. Because I'm afraid, I'm afraid if you give me too much, I'll get enchanted with it and I'll dishonor you. But God, don't give me too little because I know, I know how wicked I am, man. I may go to stealing. <laughs> and I don't want to go to stealing. I know I shouldn't be stealing, God. So only give me what I need. What a great prayer. Let's, I hope in faith you can say this today. If you can't, then don't. Because you, know, you don't want to be you know, praying something you don't really believe in, right? But this is a great prayer. Two things, say it with me. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I hope our study of money from the book of Proverbs has been good for you guys today. I hope uh, that it's, it's uh, sort of driven you back to the Scriptures maybe even to study more on this great topic. Let me just say this at the end here, guys. Chris and I are honored and privileged 
uh, to be in a service position with you and to serve God and this place for you and with you. And uh, nothing in our life could be any more treasured than uh, being your servants. Let's have a great week next Sunday at Garfield Park.